0: I'm Sean McCormick, and this is Optimal Performance.
1: There are no do-overs. Dial it in, my friend. This is it. Uh, it's a bad idea to be 100% plant-based, that you just are not going to be able to maintain the amount of muscle that you need on a plant-based diet. There is such thing as unhealthy skeletal muscle. The more healthy muscle mass you have, the greater your place for glucose disposal. Number one, I, I wouldn't recommend you fast till noon. I think that there's more evidence to suggest that eating earlier is potentially better.
0: That, everyone, is Dr. Gabrielle Lyon. She's a subject matter expert and educator in the practical application of protein, types, and levels to health, performance, aging, and disease prevention. Dr. Lyon is well-respected as a functional medicine practitioner and is the founder of the Institute for Muscle-Centric Medicine. She's a nationally recognized speaker, media contributor, and the host of the Dr. Gabrielle Lyon Show. In today's episode, we focus specifically on muscle, protein consumption, and optimal health. We cover what is unhealthy skeletal muscle, why healthy muscle is critical for longevity, why you have to feel deserving, in order to get fit, and muscle as the primary source of glucose disposal, among amazing other topics. Before we dive into the episode, I just want to say thank you for being here. You could go anywhere on the internet to listen to any other podcast in the whole world, but you're here now and that means a lot to me, so thank you. You can always join the What's Up Wednesday newsletter. Just send me your email at Sean at seanmccormick.com or DM me on Instagram at real Sean McCormick and I'll include you in what's up Wednesday which is five bullet points a health headline a discount on biohacking gear an inspiring quote a link to this week's episode as well as a conspiracy that you should know whether this is your first episode or you've been listening for years give me a five-star review on whatever platform you listen to subscribe to the episode and I'm updating all the YouTube episodes so if you prefer to watch this interview please go find me at Optimal Performance on YouTube ladies and gentlemen without further ado Dr. Gabriel Lyon And I'm here with Dr. Gabrielle Lyon, author of Forever Strong, a new science-backed strategy for aging, and I've been following your work for such a long time. I don't usually like fan out, but I'm excited to have you today. Welcome to the Optimal Performance Podcast.
1: Hi, thanks so much. Thanks for having me. So
0: I used to ask this question to every single one of the guests, which is, what have you put in your body today? And then I got kind of old for a little bit, and not everybody is excited to answer that. But I'm curious, what have you put in your body today?
1: Yeah, uh, lots of caffeine, uh, exponential amount of caffeine, and uh, a lot of water, and I've had some eggs, and a little bit of beef, and I just had a nectarine.
0: Nice. Yeah. Are you are you dogmatic about grass-fed versus grass-finished, grain-finished?
1: I'm not, actually. I'm not. I, I think that it can become really cost-prohibitive for some people. So I'll give you an example. I have two very little kids, and yesterday we went to a local restaurant, and we all got burgers. My kids didn't eat there, so I ate theirs for breakfast, and I will tell you it was not grass-fed, but it's okay.
0: <laughs> McDonald's, I'm sure.
1: It was It was it was not McDonald's. <laughs> uh,
0: there's so many different places I want to go because you know I've had you know Paul Saladino and Sean Baker and and you know some of the sort of the core carnivore folks. And I know that's not necessarily your your specific focus, but um if if I if I tend to go and ask a silly question, you can always be like, what is that what does that even mean, Sean? But I want to start with this question, which is um, one of the things that, that really kind of, uh, I thought was kind of interesting in the book blurb is this distinction between underdeveloped muscle versus unhealthy muscle. And so if you could give us a, a sort of a, uh, a high level view of the importance of, of having muscle for longevity and health span, and then make that distinction.
1: Yeah, certainly. First of all, I love, uh, Sean and Paul, so shout out to those guys, uh, When you think about skeletal muscle, or at least a lot of people who think about skeletal muscle, they think about bros, they think about bro science and being jacked and tan in the string uh, tank top. But skeletal muscle is so much more than that. And skeletal muscle in and of itself is an endocrine organ. It is what I call the organ of longevity and really determines nearly everything about the way in which you age and your current health and wellness right at this moment. And when we think about the importance of skeletal muscle, we have to really dive into a few very particular domains. Number one, we think about it from a metabolic perspective. And for you, you're fit, and I'm sure many of your listeners are fit, and they're thinking about skeletal muscle as it relates to, or hopefully, the food that they're eating, glucose disposal, Uh, whether you're eating carbohydrates, it has to go somewhere because glucose in and of itself is toxic to the human body, especially at elevated levels. So that needs to get out of the bloodstream and that gets stored in skeletal muscle. So number one, it's your metabolic sink. Think of it as your disposal system. The other important aspect of skeletal muscle, and there are many, so I'll just highlight a few, is the function as an endocrine organ. People are thinking, well, I just thought that that was your thyroid, but contracting skeletal muscle releases hormones called myokines. Myokines travel throughout the body. They interface with the brain. We've all heard of BDNF. Uh, a few not so commonly talked about myokines are captepsin and irisin, all of which impact the brain through BDNF and this process of neurogenesis, all through contracting and exercising skeletal muscle all through leveraging your own organ system that you have cognitive control over, which by the way, is very unique. While some people are probably amazing, like Wim Hof, and he can probably slow his heart rate down. If I asked you to do it, you have probably no voluntary control over your heart rate. Uh, you may have no voluntary control of the your thyroid, but skeletal muscle being this highly plastic organ system and also the organ system that we have conscious and voluntary control over makes it incredible. A few other aspects of skeletal muscle. It is your body armor, which, again, seems very important. But I think an underappreciated role of skeletal muscle is if you were to get ill, if one of your listeners were to get the flu for a week and be bedbound and and really sick, skeletal muscle, is what protects you in any kind of what we call a catabolic crisis. Really, really critical. And then, of course, the obvious for mobility and being strong and being resilient and being able to navigate your world, all of which are focal points and make skeletal muscle the pinnacle of health and wellness.
0: Hmm. So if you could then maybe go a little bit deeper into um, unhealthy versus underdeveloped muscle.
1: I think this is probably the biggest mistake that people are making and that is not understanding the fact that there is such thing as unhealthy skeletal muscle and what is unhealthy skeletal muscle and why do we care about it these diseases of aging like diabetes obesity cardiovascular disease alzheimers we often think about diseases that begin later in life right alzheimers people you know if you have alzheimers before the age of 60 that's I mean, that's probably genetic, but around 70 people are thinking, well, this is just something that happens to brain function. I would say that we have misinterpreted that and that changes in brain function and cognition begin to develop just like heart disease in your thirties, decades earlier. And at the core of this is really the health of skeletal muscle. If you appreciate how I laid out skeletal muscle as being really your metabolic regulator, as your site for glucose disposal, as your site for myokine production. You know, we didn't even talk about the interfaces with bone and liver and the the immune system. And you understand that it's necessary to protect it in a time of catabolic crises, which unfortunately almost all of us at some point or another will interface with. What happens is, is skeletal muscle, if you are sedentary, let's say you are an 18 year and this was out of Kit Peterson's lab at Yale. Let's say you are an 18 year old, healthy, lean, yet sedentary individual. They will show evidence of insulin resistance at 18. What's insulin? Insulin is the hormone released from the pancreas that moves glucose out of the bloodstream into the cell. Insulin resistance in skeletal muscle is one of the focal points and a primary uh, problem in aging. And it's a primary problem in, quote, unhealthy skeletal muscle. This will develop likely before you start to see fat infiltration. Fat will infiltrate also in skeletal muscle. Skeletal muscle can look like a marbled steak not just the the ribeye that you're ordering, but quite frankly, your own skeletal muscle. And that is what I think of as unhealthy skeletal muscle is from a, a morphologic perspective, but also that tissue is less strong, less metabolically active, and less capable overall to handle anything that comes its way. And it's something that we are not testing for directly. And it's not something that we're addressing directly.
0: Today's episode is brought to you by The Amino Co., the most cutting edge, rigorously researched amino acid formulations in the world. With over 30 years of experience and over 500 medical research papers published, it's my go-to for performance and muscle building. As an optimal performing biohacking dad with BJJ and a ridiculously busy schedule, I want to put the best quality stuff in my body I can. I use the AminoCo's 100% science-backed formulas called PERFORM as a pre-workout and a during workout enhancer to increase my strength and endurance during 90-minute BJJ training sessions and other workouts. The AminoCo's PERFORM blend is three times more effective on a gram-for-gram basis than any protein source. I also notice an increase in cognitive function, focus and concentration, and it makes multiple day fasts super easy. I've been doing three-day fasts recently, and it's way easier when I take Perform throughout the fasting period. Go check out their science and go check out one of the four products that they offer because they specialize in essential amino acids. Head to... AminoCo.com forward slash OPP and use the code OPP to receive 30% off. That's AminoCo.com forward slash OPP and use the code OPP for 30% off. Yeah. The the image uh, pops into my head of, you know, um, you know, late teen, early 20, like lean, not such great nutrition, like gamers, right? Like may look fairly fit, may look fairly lean, but the muscle isn't actually doing any work. It's not, it's not, it's not performing at the level that it should. Do I have that kind of right?
1: That's absolutely, and I, uh, absolutely correct. And, you know, we've seen diabetes and obesity easily double in this age group. So what is going to be the end result is clear. We are going to be sicker and we are going to have a lot more metabolic disease coming up than we ever have. Truly. And I think what is it really important about this book, Forever Strong, is number one, it's the first book of its kind written that I'm aware of in the reframing of our current health crisis. The current health crisis is really focused on the end result, which is whatever that is. Fix Alzheimer's, it's obesity, it's X, Y, and Z. But those are symptoms of, quite frankly, what I believe to be unhealthy skeletal muscle. I also believe that the evidence is very clear that the health of skeletal muscle really determines as the pinnacle, how you navigate life and how you age over the long term. So again, I know that you've got a lot of kind of alpha male listeners, which uh, I think is amazing. Those are my, that's uh, my patient population that I see in the clinic. And I will tell you that the ones that are really excelling and exceeding in life have their fitness, have their nutrition, have their bodies really dialed in because they leverage that to get the best performance out of themselves, not just physically, but cognitively.
0: I've seen, I've seen you write a couple of places about that the focus should not necessarily be on less fat, but that the focus should be on more lean muscle mass. And, and for me, it creates this really accessible sort of dynamic between like, okay, losing fat is fine, but the way that you lose that fat is by doing exercises that are, you know, good for hypertrophy. You know, if you can unpack that a little bit for me.
1: Yeah, I I would, I would love to because I I think that some people would argue more muscle is not better. And then they would point to the bodybuilders and I would say within a physiological range, what your genetics are capable of. The more healthy muscle mass you have, the greater your place for glucose disposal. The more healthy muscle mass you have from a younger age, the more resilient you will be because let's face it, as we age, um, it becomes much more difficult to build skeletal muscle. Again, can it be done? Yes, there's evidence that it, it absolutely can be done and someone is never too old to really initiate health and wellness from a muscular perspective. But the reality is, it's kind of like investing early, investing early and maintaining and building as much skeletal muscle as you can, because over time, it becomes more difficult. And that's just seems to be the way that is. And what are some of the reasons, you know, I've gone kind of back and forth about this in my own mind, because most of the data is not with an exercising population, potentially exercising to an amount that we would think is necessary to maintain health and wellness. And and that's just true. There are some studies with elite athletes that are older, but the question becomes, how physically active should we be? And Mm -hmm. uh, I think that the majority of data, they are looking at populations that are suboptimal for health in general and suboptimal for uh, fit individuals. You know, the the current recommendation for uh, fitness is 150 minutes of moderate to vigorous activity a week, plus two days of full body strength training. You know, 24% of Americans are meeting that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so, you know, when we look at uh, population-based studies and we're looking at it, just individuals who are active, then an individual that, meets that criteria, which would only be 24% of the population would then be considered an active population.
0: Hmm. Yeah. if I kind of go back and think about, you know, this idea that if you, especially for women, that if you lift too much, or if you exercise too much, that you're going to bulk up, you know, and, and we, I think we forget that the bodybuilder physique is like 0.1 of 0.1% point one percent of of the population I'm just throwing that out there of course but but I'm curious about where you think that that, that sort of cultural that meme came from that you know that well oh, I don't want to lift like I don't I don't want to do deadlifts as a gal because I'm going to get too big and muscular and I will I'll look funny
1: it's um so this is obviously not a professional opinion this is certainly my opinion um Lifting weights can be aggressive, heavy weights, clanking around in a gym. It can be grungy. It can be aggressive. And that's amazing. Versus what I think, um, culturally women, I think it's changed, but in the beginning, the encouragement, I believe is more let's do the Jane Fonda workout or let's do things that are softer and jazzercise or any of these other things. Uh, I don't have a great answer for you as to why we see that, but hopefully this conversation, if you do have female listeners and certainly men that are, you know, have female partners can encourage them to be strong. You're never going to be worse off from being stronger. Mm -hmm. I've never had someone say, you know, I really committed to this discipline of training and however you want to do it whether you want to train hard and you know you want to train heavy i've never some i've never heard someone say and i've been a physician since 2006 i've never heard someone say they've uh, regretted that being strong right you're never going to regret being strong but you might regret regret being weak
0: right right for those of us who and this isn't necessarily my audience but it's definitely you know a lot of Americans, and you know maybe it's your 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 parents or your best friend who have obvious metabolic dysfunction, right? They're they're obese or overweight, prediabetic. What what's a really great place to start for these people to, you know, repair or or fix that sort of metabolic dysfunction? Should it be through, you know, long slow walks? Should it be through thirty grams of protein or, or one gram of protein? per pound of body weight per day? Like what? how do, how do we make it simple for people to, to turn that ship around?
1: Number one, you have to, you might not like this answer, but the individual has to feel worthy of doing it. There is a worthiness threshold that I have seen over time that if an individual does not feel worthy of having the health and fitness that they deserve, they will always sabotage themselves. So let's take that worthiness piece off the table, and let's assume the individual is not going to self-sabotage and truly gets the message of feeling worthy, then what would be the next step? The next step, because it's easy, and I use that word lightly, in the framework of thinking that there's only one thing from a health and wellness perspective that everybody does. Do you know what that is? I mean, I guess there's two. Sleep? You know? uh, they eat. They eat. of people eat, 100% of people eat. Some people sleep, some people don't, maybe they go a day without sleeping, but one, I mean, fine. They sleep, they eat, they go to the bathroom and they drink water. But from a health and wellness perspective, every single 100% of people are eating. So you have to get that right. You could go your entire life without exercise. We know a lot of people that go their entire life without exercise and they live- till they're old. Doesn't mean they live a great quality life, but they still survive. If hundred percent of people are eating, we should work to nail that first. How are we going to do that? Well, I laid this out wonderfully in my book. It took me two years to write. So please read it. It is all detailed for you. I actually just am doing a solo cast on how do you figure out what your macros should be and how one should do it. And I would say the way to do this is number one, you need to track and figure out what you're doing. You actually have to have some baseline assessment of what and how you are living. Without knowledge, there is no wisdom that can be accrued, period, end of story. I have a very fit female entrepreneur, and I was talking to her yesterday, and she is what you would consider lean. And we looked at her hemoglobin A1C, and it's six. That's high, right? 6.4 is considered diabetic. She's eating all whole foods, nothing processed. And I'm sure a part of that is genetic. And the reality is, is I asked her to please evaluate what she was eating. So we looked at her nutrition and for her body, she was eating 100 grams of protein and 250 grams of carbs and uh, you know a handful of fat. And the reality is, even if she's exercising, clearly that carbohydrate load is too much for her. But again, you would look at her and you would never know she is fit and lean, but it's just not, she, she's not able to tolerate that. So that is going to be the first thing that we adjust. So from a listener perspective, the primary thing that you're going to do is figure out exactly where you are so that you can course correct. Once you determine what your carbohydrates and, and protein is in your fat, you're going to determine how, where do you want your body to be? How much do you want to weigh? And notice I didn't say anything about how, what percent muscle mass you should be, because nobody actually knows the amount. Mm-hmm. Should be. But what you will need to identify is um, how much you want to weigh. Let's just start there. And a really easy way to think about that would be one gram per pound ideal body weight. So if you're uh, listening and you're, you want to be 150 pounds, you could break off for What is it? Um, it would be three meals of 50 grams of protein. No problem to reach 150 grams. You don't have to have that much. You could do 0. 0.7 grams per kg and be just fine. But again, prioritizing dietary protein, it's very difficult to overeat. You start there, your first and your last meal are optimized for dietary protein. And all the studies have been done really after that first, that first meal after that overnight fast, um, so that would be a great way to start. And then the other thing that you have to consider is reducing your overall carbohydrates. And uh, an easy strategy to do that would be reduce it to under 50 grams per meal and figuring out that um, you know, the current RDA is what, 130 grams of carbohydrates a day. So you could start there. The average American is eating 300. And then the fat, You know, after you figured out how many calories, which you can go online, make it super simple then the rest can be fat Mm. super easy. But, um, you know, for all the entrepreneurial uh, and biohackers and, and these people out there, you can't be chaotic. You can't be chaotic with your meals and you can't be chaotic with your feeding. So that structure, that first meal, know your meal timing and execute off that.
0: Mm. Uh, I think I speak for myself and for a lot of my listeners thinking about sort of the 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 keto or post-keto intermittent fasting approach, which I myself am guilty of. Now I'm now so conditioned to skip breakfast and not eat until 12 or one each day. Like it's hard to get, it's hard, Dr. Lyon. It's hard to get the 185 grams of protein a day that I require in order to maintain my lean muscle mass. So, so for people who are busy, who enjoy the the cognitive benefits of intermittent fasting, and it helps them keep their calories low. I think it's challenging for a lot of people to reach that minimum uh, protein intake per day. What, what are some ways that people can kind of hack that?
1: Number one, I, I wouldn't recommend you fast till noon. I think that, um, There's more evidence to suggest that eating earlier is potentially better. Uh, Again, could it disrupt sleep? It is also about calorie restriction, but I I do think that there are some benefits from bowel rest and and those kinds of things, et cetera. But moving the meal earlier, hour to two hours after you wake up, having that first meal, and then front-loading your calories versus back-loading your calories may be beneficial. In terms of increasing the amount of dietary protein – Uh, again, if you're not going to be eating that much food, then you could easily add in a shake, make it super simple. That is a, a very easy way to do it. And you have to understand one of the reasons I'm higher on my protein recommendations is because we're largely domesticated. We're not training. There's two ways to effectively, from my perspective, help with muscle health and quality, and that's diet and resistance training. The more training you're doing you could potentially offset the stimulus to the muscle. So you might, you could potentially get away with less protein because you are stimulating that tissue. So do you have to have one gram per pound ideal body weight? Not necessarily, but if you are hungry, the question then becomes where are the rest of the calories coming from? Are they going to come from carbohydrates? Are they going to come from fat? And I think nutrient density becomes very valuable that you are eating foods that provide you with the highest amount of nutrients. And dietary protein certainly lean. Dietary protein does a really good job of that.
0: Hmm. That's a good reminder. That's a good reminder too. If you, if you want to use fasting to manage your caloric intake, it's probably smarter in some respects to skip dinner or to eat dinner way earlier than it is to skip breakfast. Hmm. I like that. Um, I want to do a lightning round. Are you up for a lightning round? Yeah. Sometimes I save this for the end, but uh this always gives good fodder for, for more conversation. So this is uh this is the 6 question lightning round, and six. you can either say I- true. <laughs> What'd you say? No,
1: go ahead. So I'm it's thinking- either
0: yeah. true, false, or you can cop out and say it depends.
1: Yeah, but the answers to that already is going to likely be it depends. I know, especially I know, if especially if you're asking a science question because there's multiple ways to skin a cat. Um right. Okay. That's just okay. The truth. So even if we even if we're
0: walking into six, it depends. I'm gonna we're gonna go for it anyway.
1: I'm gonna tell you the truth. The truth is, I see it.
0: Okay. Perfect. So number one, uh, protein intake is the most important nutritional factor for health. True. Number two, fiber intake is overrated. False. Ooh. Number I mean, three. Thir- it kind
1: of depends on the person, but the evidence would suggest it's important. Okay. But from clinical experience, probably it depends. But again, over time, what are the outcomes over time? Yeah.
0: I definitely want to circle back to that because I, because, yeah, because there's a lot in there. Um, number three, amino acid intake can be sufficient in lieu of protein intake. What does that mean? I mean that if you're not getting if you're not getting the 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 minimum one gram protein per pound body weight per day that you can you can supplement with with good amino acids that will convert.
1: I mean, you you could, yeah, you could. That's okay. true.
0: Okay. Uh, number three, strength training is the mo- is more important than cardio.
1: In what context, but I would say I believe that to be true. That would be my number one.
0: Number four, raw liver is delicious.
1: Absolutely not, hard pass. (laughs) Uh,
0: Number five, uh, the keto diet is overrated.
1: I mean, just depends on the person. You know, I'm not a, a huge keto person in general.
0: And then the last one, number six, uh, regular three-day water-only fasting is a good idea.
1: Depends on the person. Depends. I, don't, I mean, I don't do it.
0: Cool. Okay. So I want to go back to the fiber, the fiber issue, and and I know that um, this is something that I've been paying very close attention to, and there's so much clinical data that supports the importance of of dietary fiber, um, and yet. You know my man Sean Baker, who I ran into at the jujitsu gym. You know a couple of months ago. You know, there's all these outlier carnivore stories of super fit people who who haven't had a a, a bit of haven't had any leafy greens in in a de- in decades or longer. Um, maybe unpack this a little bit for us because the 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 the, the, the trials and the studies and the data show us imp- how important fiber is, and yet, in my mind if you're if you're optimizing for protein and you're getting way less fiber then then you're probably doing okay.
1: Um I I do think that the body can be incredibly flexible and adaptable. The evidence does support that fiber is good for an individual. Um I would say we can the majority of us will agree upon that. Do I think that there is individual variation? that the gut microbiome can change significantly and that can potentially be good for a person, how they are eating. Yeah, why not? I think there's a lot that we don't actually know about the gut microbiome. So um, for most people, fiber will probably be beneficial. Uh, We could say that. And then there are our outliers like Sean, who's incredible and not doing any fiber. So I I don't think anyone will have that answer for you or anybody. Yeah. Um, but again, when we when we make global and generalized recommendations, we have to uh, follow the evidence until eventually that evidence changes.
0: Mm. I see. Yeah, yeah.
1: That... evidence will change. Um, but I suppose that it hasn't yet, but it certainly will.
0: Hmm. I had uh, Dr. Joseph Anton from Prolon on the podcast a year or so ago, Um, you know, him and Walter Longo um, created the five-day fasting mimicking diet. We were going back and forth on the importance of fiber in the diet. And, and, and I think like so many other, you know, doctors and researchers, uh, nutritionists, dietitians, they point to the studies that show how important it is. And he and I were really kind of going back and forth around, um, you know, the importance of fiber. And, and I, and, and then I started to do a little bit more research and I found a lot of, a lot of experts kind of referring to those studies within the context of like a standard American diet where people are, they're meat eaters, but they're eating like pepperoni pizza and cheeseburgers and all sorts of fried food and damaged oils and stuff like that. And so in my mind, I haven't, I have in my mind, maybe I'm full of shit, but in my mind, it's like, well, if it's based on, somebody who's not eating whole foods, then maybe, then maybe the fiber isn't, isn't as critical as someone who's eating cleaner and getting way less.
1: When we think about it, humans have survived in all kinds of environments with all kinds of foods. Uh, depending on, I mean, in Alaska, what are people eating? In Alaska in winter, I'm not sure. Uh, when people are living in areas like the desert, how high is there fiber in the diet? Again, these are answers I don't know, but we say it as a blanket statement, but likely it, you know, there's variation in how humans have survived over time. Yeah. It's, I think it, about it, you know?
0: It's a powerful, it depends.
1: <laughs> I mean, just ah, just from a cognitive perspective and a, a logical perspective, we are not all the same and we don't all live in the same geographic locations. How could we if you are in a certain location and you were to live off the land of just what is available there, how, what would your diet look like? Mm. What, um, you know, what does it actually look like versus if you live somewhere in um, like Hawaii where there's where lots of things grow or uh, pick another place that has a ton of, I think you're probably in Seattle. Cause Sean's in Seattle now. It's probably tons of greenery that grow there versus I live in Texas I don't think anything grows here except for <laughs> sweat, right? Uh, how would I be able to live off the land if if I didn't have access to whole foods? What kind of foods would I be eating?
0: Hmm. Yeah, the body adapts.
1: Highly cue, adaptable.
0: Cue the nature finds a way from Jurassic Park, number
1: one.
0: <laughs> uh, um, who, who's Who's the book for?
1: The book, my friend, is for anybody and everybody who is confused about nutritional sciences, who really wants to age well, and also wants to understand where their information is coming. from. This book is, a, from what I understand, the first of its kind. It really focuses and shifts the paradigm to um, this concept of muscle-centric medicine, where muscle is the pinnacle of health and wellness. It's very well-researched. It's dedicated to my longtime mentor of two decades, which is pretty phenomenal, and it is evidence-based. It has very practical strategies. So it outlines very specific tracks, whether you are looking to lose weight, you are looking for longevity, or you're looking to build muscle. This book is for you. It also has mindset components. You know, I, my personal practice services, um, uh, very special people. I am married to a Navy SEAL. I take care of elite warfighters and very well-respected entrepreneurs and just innovators and mavericks and game changers. And then of course, you know, moms and people that are holding the fort down, but the one demographic that, or the, the one unifying factor of all of them is that they all want the best out of themselves. And with that kind of exposure to people, you begin to see patterns and archetypes of individuals. You don't have to be a warfighter. You don't have to be a famous entrepreneur, but we can learn from them. We can mm-hmm. learn from them. We can learn from the moms and and really people that are moving the needle. And I've also included that in the book, which is very unusual.
0: I think it's uh, critical. I, I mean, you can, you can have all the theory, you can have all the science and all the data, you know, all the stuff. But if you are in your own way mentally about resolve or habit formation, then it's, it's all stays up in your mind in the theoretical and doesn't get activated upon. So that's, well, can you give me like a little bit of a, little bit of a teaser of on some of the mentality stuff that you cover?
1: Yeah. Um, well, number one, I told you about the self-worth and I'm going to tell yeah. you a story about one of my patients. His name is Brian and Brian is, or was, is. Uh, was in the SEAL teams for 20 years. So he's a breacher. Breachers, those guys are the first guys in. They're like the muscle of the teams. This guy was a big Texan farm boy, and he'd been in the teams, again, for 20 years, multiple deployments to some of the most dangerous places on earth. And shockingly, he'd never been injured. Multiple firefights and came out unscathed. He was on Friendly soil. He was at home and he was on his motorcycle going five miles an hour and a 17 year old girl texting and driving totally takes him out and he lost his leg. Oh my gosh. And he was sitting in my office and you know, you don't know this your listeners don't know this, but I'm five foot one, five foot one buck 10 on a good day. And I have this whole narrative about, oh my gosh, you know, Brian, you know, here Brian is just a stud of a dude and his life is now just completely falling apart. He spent 20 years in the teams being a freaking breacher. Like this guy is a highly trained warfighter. And I'm like, God, this guy's life is ruined. And so he's sitting there in front of me and I'm like, Brian, you know, how are you doing? And he looked at me and... He said, you know, well, doc, uh, I'm really tired. I'm having this phantom limb pain. You know, I've been in the VA, been everywhere. I'm still not feeling great. And I'm like, no, 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 no. So I leaned closer. Like, Brian, how are you really doing? And I swear to God, he looked at me like I just asked him for a box of tampons. And he is like, uh, you know, what are you, what are you talking about? And I'm like, your leg. He's like, Oh. He's like, doc, that was like six months ago. What, what are you talking about? And then I was so shocked by that answer that I called my husband and my husband knew their friends. So he knew that um, Brian was coming to see me and, and Brian had already called him. And, you know, so not telling any secret here. And I said, oh, you know, talk to Brian. He's like, yeah, yeah, I know. And I said, oh man, you know, I asked Brian how he was doing and you know, he's just totally lost himself. And and I asked him and he, he was so confused and he looked at me and he goes, yeah, that was six months ago. And it's just dead silent on the other line. And my husband just dead silent. I'm like, hello? He's like, honey, what are you talking about? That, that was like six months ago, you know? And it, it was like someone slapped me in the face. And I realized at that moment, that the difference between those individuals that are assets within themselves within their own lives within their community versus those that become liabilities going off crazy drinking drugs just really real liabilities in their family and are destructive the difference between an asset and a liability is all this in in this narrative the people that excel Move off that place of pity and pain so rapidly that those are the individuals that ultimately reach their full potential. Hmm. Legitimately does not matter the magnitude of the assault that happens to them.
0: Wow. I've never, I've never thought of it as asset versus liability as far as a character trait but it makes so much sense to me just the way that you've laid that out like wow are you contributing or are you taking away are you wow that's that's profound
1: if anyone had an opportunity to complain to go and get drunk and and just be a complete train wreck he totally could have he was was no narrative he was what do i got to do what do we you know how do we move forward there wasn't woe is me So the narrative that I would say to myself or that I was telling myself was like, this guy's life is over. He's, you know, X, Y, and Z. He did not have that experience at all. And think about your, think about your own life and think, and the listener, think about your own life. How many of you haven't gotten over something that happened six months ago, six years ago, you're still blaming a past pattern or a past event for who you are today. And, um, I think being a good physician is recognizing patterns of disease and being a effective physician is recognizing patterns of people.
0: Wow. That's uh, awesome. That's really cool. I mean, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking about what it must be like to be in your shoes to be helping people live their best possible life, you know, forever strong, lean, alert, fulfilled, and, and how much of our own baggage and bullshit and stories and narrative get in the way of making good decisions for ourselves and living the kind of life that we want to. So uh, the fact that you included in the book is makes tons of sense. And, you know, it's, it's on brand for you, right? It's like accountability, like action, make a decision, like be smart, be thoughtful, move forward. Um, Super cool.
1: Yeah. I mean it's a privilege. It's a privilege. You know, medicine is the modality that I have the opportunity to use, but my real passion is getting the best out of people. I think my skill set is seeing who people have the potential to become.
0: Awesome. In in the two years that that you uh that you took to writing the book, um, and I'm not trying to, you know, twist the knife, but what what surprised you? What 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 one or two things were like, oh my God, shockers?
1: I was just surprised at how long it takes for information to get out to the general public. I was surprised at how little we knew about skeletal muscle mass, how little, um, how there are certain things that we take for granted. For example, everybody talks about DEXA as if it directly measures skeletal muscle. It doesn't. It's not, I mean, it doesn't. It measures fat mass and bone, but it extrapolates the rest, yet we we assume that we know this thing when we're not directly looking at what we want to talk about and measure. And the fact that that was accepted was shocking to me when you go through and you look at the data and that some of the conclusions that I think will change. For example, this idea that muscle mass doesn't matter as much as muscle strength. Well, how can you make that uh, statement if we're only now starting to directly measure skeletal muscle mass? Um, in ways like D3 creatine and again, CT MRI are not ways in which we can frequently measure it. And and just this whole missing the mark that we don't go to a physician and we don't get our skeletal muscle mass measured, but they'll look at BMI, which who cares? I mean, body fat percentage is important, but what about metrics of strength? Why are we not, why do we not have a capacity to test a one rep max as a physician or, of just looking at this skeletal muscle organ system as an extreme biomarker for health and wellness, and why is that completely missed and misguided, in my opinion? So that surprised me. Also surprised me how bad you feel when you're pregnant. I was pregnant <laughs> two babies in this in this span of time, so it was pretty. <laughs> so surprised me how tough. I'll it take is.
0: your I'll take your word for it. <laughs>
1: uh, <is>. it. Yeah. <laughs> Now, now,
0: as I hear you talk about sort of the systems and, and um, systems of measurement and blood work and DEXA versus, you know, understanding where you are, getting, getting blood work done and so forth, like how broken, this is such an easy answer, but like how broken is our current allopathic medical system? I mean, it might, I mean, it's, 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 it's. I don't want to. I don't want to frame it too much.
1: What no, I, I'm going to give you a different take on it, and I, I think you're going to be surprised. I think there's a lot of good. I think there's a lot of good. If you are sick and you need medical treatment, and uh, I think that there's a lot of benefit. Uh, I think that you can pick a provider. You can get your blood pressure measured. You can go on medication if you need it. We have hormone replacement. I, I think that again. There's a lot of good in the medical system. And with any system, there are massive flaws. And do I believe that there are potentially massive flaws in our medical system? Yes, I I think we would all agree with efficiency and just the systems and processes. But again, the bigger picture is we have an entire world to take care of. And in the US, we have a, a large population I, again, as a trained physician and someone who is trained traditionally and non-traditionally, there are absolute benefits to both. The one thing that I will say that we need to become better at is being deeply empowered. We cannot just treat symptomology. Do not be that kind of person. Where the medical system will suit you is if you want things without working for them in some essence don't be that person. Don't be that person. Be the person who is willing to put in the effort to get the results that you want. And don't be the person that is disappointed with the results that you didn't get with the work that you didn't put in.
0: Hmm. That's that's good rule for living. Yes, sir. Not just health.
1: Medicine is not just in a box. It is about, listen, the reality is um, how you do the little things is truly how you do, how you navigate the big things. So do the little things right. And you can change the way in which you live. And that's critical. There's no, there's no work around. We can't just talk about health in a silo because it doesn't exist in a silo. It is in a, a multidimensional domain that we exist in and that our health exists in. Hmm. That and that's really what the book is about. It's about, it's a movement, man. I'm trying to create a movement. I'm trying to create a movement and a mission that takes back strength. We do not have to be a weakened, overweight, sedentary society. We just don't. And uh, don't convince yourself otherwise. Don't convince Hmm. yourself that that's who you have to be because it's not true. And you can expect more from yourself. Even if you're doing great, expect more. I was on with a, another uh, patient just yesterday. Hi, actually, it was Saturday. Highly successful eight-figure entrepreneur. I was like, hey, hey dude, how are we going to kick this up a notch? You know, you're happy. You're doing jujitsu every day, super fit. What we? What's next? What are we doing next? Kick it up a notch. And we can all kick it up a notch.
0: What was their response?
1: Uh, he, We're going for an eight-pack. We're, <laughs> we're, we're getting that that dude lean, you know? But Just just for fun. Doesn't track macros. In fact, I'm going to text him right now. Where are my macros? Just kick it up into high gear. And again, it's not even the thing. It's the action of doing the thing to become the person that you know you can be. If you are a certain kind of person, you still have to do the actions that are becoming of that person. And it's a daily practice. You have to do the actions. Even if you are jacked and tan and doing all these things, if you want to dominate, do the actions necessary to become that person. That person doesn't sit around and is like, okay, this is good. Take a ballet. I don't care what you do, but do something. Become that person.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I tell my clients that there is no finish line because not only once you reach your goals, you can create bigger ones, but also there's no like, well, when I get this weight, then I'll do that thing. When I make this much money, then my life will be better. It's like, no, there's, there, it's a, it's a fallacy. It doesn't exist. There's always more. There's always more. Before I ask the, the, the last, the last question, um, I want to just, uh, just a couple more real briefly. Um, what have you changed your mind about recently?
1: I, um, What have I changed my mind about? I really, I'm going to, this is not going to be a binary answer. Okay. I really feel like uh, it's a bad idea to be a hundred percent plant-based that you just are not going to be able to maintain the amount of muscle that you need on a plant-based diet. And I think that when you're younger, you probably can. Um, And, you know, there's some evidence from Stu Phillips lab that, That is can absolutely be done. So I have changed my mind on that. When you're younger, I think when you're older, and we have to think about food as a food matrix, that may be uh, not an ideal strategy. But you know, if you're younger, could you be plant based and healthy and maintain muscle? Probably.
0: Mm. And you didn't. You were you were more amenable to 100% plant based up until recently.
1: No, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't, for the record, I don't think anyone should be hundred percent plant-based. I think it's an odd way to live. We shouldn't be removing animal-based products. We should have a, a combination of the two, but I really believed that uh, it would be very difficult to maintain any kind of skeletal muscle mass on a plant-based diet, but basically it wasn't a whole foods plant-based diet. It was supplementation. And with supplementation, even if it's uh, plant-based supplementation, if you are a younger individual, um, like a younger male, you can do that. Hmm. doesn't mean I think it's optimal, but I did change my mind on that.
0: Hmm. Awesome. Yeah, that's great. Uh, before I ask the last question, uh, where can everyone find the book? Where will you send them on the internet?
1: Yeah. When is this podcast coming out?
0: Uh, this will be, well, I can shoot for right before launch if you want.
1: Great. Uh, because I have a ton of freebies, tons of bonuses. Um, I have a full exercise library, which I know I could never be a fitness influencer because that that was actually really hard work. Uh, 80 to 100 videos. Um, Whoa. Yeah, it was a lot. I have um, an in-person event coming up in January. People can go to my website. Uh, if they purchase a copy, there's, again, all kinds of freebies. They can go to my website to purchase, Dr. Gabrielle Lyon. You could go to Amazon. Um, I, the book is again, forever strong. I have a very active podcast myself, which is the Dr. Gabrielle Lyon show. I have a newsletter, which I provide a ton of free science information. And for people who are interested in recipes, I even have a 30 G's recipe email, which is pretty cool. And I usually collaborate with other people to kind of get a, a cross interests of different kinds of recipes and youtube very active on youtube instagram all the places
0: yeah your your website has so much good stuff i mean uh the 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 podcast guests that you get and the the conversations that you have is such high level um in yeah dr is there's just tons and tons of information lots of different adventures to go on so i would encourage everybody to go there um so here's the here's the final question, and it's a fill in the blank question, specifically designed to catch you off guard. Um, this can be based on, you know, the book, or can be based on any other sort of reference to your your personal experience, and you can elaborate as much or as little as you wish. Everyone would benefit from knowing
1: there are no do overs. Dial it in, my friend. This is it. Mic drop.
0: (laughs) Awesome. Dr. Gabrielle Lyon, thank you so much for joining me today on the Optimal Performance Podcast.
1: Thank you, my friend. Thanks for having me.